Hello and you are listening to Scar Joe Gogo, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke and this week I'm talking about The Spirit. We're here to learn, not just to yawn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go. Comics are an amazing medium because anybody can make them. If you have a pen and paper or a computer, even a stick and a little patch of dirt, you, my friend, can make your own comics. It is a medium that allows a single creator to tell vast, elaborate stories with an infinite budget. And if the reward is simply the pleasure of creating comics in the first place, then I got to tell you, there is little risk in creating comics. You can spew forth every bizarre idea or desire you've ever imagined. It can be as niche as you want it to be, have a very, very limited appeal, appeal to a very, very, very specific sort of person. It doesn't matter. In the wonderful world of comics, anything goes. Movies, on the other hand, well, that's a slightly different story. And that's because movies cost money. Movies are collaborative. If you make a big Hollywood movie filled with Hollywood stars, then the understanding is that it will have at least some appeal to an audience and perhaps a chance of making some money. That just makes sense, right? You're smart people. I'm not telling you anything new. This is how the world works. Well, not apparently if you're Mr. Frank Miller. Trust me, we'll get there. But first, when we last left Scarlett Johansson, she was the sexually adventurous but somewhat naive Christina in her third outing with uh, writer-director Woody Allen, Vicky Christina Barcelona, a role which pretty much went unawarded, uh, was eclipsed by her critically acclaimed co-stars, mainly due to the fact that Woody Allen poorly chose to give around 90% of her thoughts and feelings to an anonymous male narrator while she walked around in silence. Real nice way to treat your friend there, Woody. I think you need to watch Toy Story again and really listen to the lyrics of that song. Which brings us to now, and by now I mean podcast now, which is 2008 in terms of our chronology. And uh, we have Frank Miller's notorious film, The Spirit, a film which uh, was written and directed by this exponentially crazy artist and writer of 80s comics fame, who, to be fair, made some of the best comics around before eventually becoming a walking example of the law of diminishing returns. And it was Frank Miller who really reinvented Batman with his gritty Dark Knight Returns, which, you know, is still one of my favourite comic books ever. I'm not taking anything away from that. Uh, He also gave us the wonderful science fiction work Ronan. He created Sin City and 300, both of which, of course, were then turned into very successful films. 
And he also wrote a whole lot of turds that you probably don't even know about, like the Batman Spawn crossover and his anti-Islam book, Holy Terror. So why is Frank Miller, a graphic novelist, a comic book writer and artist, suddenly allowed to even write and direct a film? And of course, we can thank Robert Rodriguez for that who fought to get Miller co-director credit on the Sin City movie, mainly due to the fact that Rodriguez did his best to literally replicate many of Miller's panels from those works. And uh, 300 and Sin City were both financial successes. Executives must be saying, I think this uh, Frank Miller guy has something to offer. He wasn't even just given this film, he was also attached to a Buck Rogers film which sort of disappeared after this thing came out and did quite poorly. Because for his first feature film, solo feature film, Miller gets gifted the opportunity to go solo adapting his late friend Will Eisner's classic comic book series The Spirit which wasn't particularly dark and grim and gritty, and yet Miller somehow manages to make an incomprehensible grim and gritty mess. It's a film that feels important to him, but not to anyone else. Like, it hits the ground running without really doing anything to earn our investment in anything that's going on. You feel like you arrived at the party late, and then you spend the rest of your time at the party trying to find an excuse to duck out early. And I wanted to like The Spirit. I do like 300 and I like Sin City. I had a lot of fun with both of those films. And, and I love visual experiments. I love people just trying things and, you know, it doesn't always succeed. That's fine. I'd rather they gave it a shot. So I do admire Miller's audacity in a way that he had the balls to put this thing out. But I can't bring myself to like the film. It's a totally indulgent Frank Miller ego trip. In fact, he even gives himself a cameo role in this thing. And look, isn't that an insult to those people who work hard all their lives and take the training to become actors? How does he get to just suddenly pop into filmmaking and just pop into acting as if it's the easiest thing ever? Like, if that was true, why doesn't he let Scarlett Johansson uh, draw his next comic? If it's so easy to just suddenly flit between jobs, like anybody can just be as good as anyone, regardless of their training. Next time an electrical appliance is sparking and about to catch fire, why not go, Whoa, I'm not an electrician, but I'll give it a shot. Why don't we all just tame lions and deliver babies, Frank Miller, while we're at it? And fly airplanes and win the Olympics. I didn't see this film at the cinema. I think I saw it on DVD and I'd only rented it and I struggled to get through it. So I wasn't exactly looking forward to revisiting it. However, we're viewing it through a different lens, that lens being the performance of Scarlett Johansson. And thankfully for both you and me and Scarlett herself, she's not in this film for a long time. It's very much a supporting role. So I'm not going to endeavour to explain the entire plot of this thing. I think if Frank Miller can't be asked explaining the plot of this thing in a comprehensible way, in a cohesive way, then I'm not going to fucking do his work for him. But I will try to give you a sense of what watching the spirit feels like, because I imagine that not many of you have sat all the way through it. I also imagine 
given Scarlet's small role, that this is going to be a short episode and we're all going to get to go home early. Yeah, high five, early mark, you deserved it. So let's wrap this thing up. Uh, Scarlet is eighth build during the opening titles, but uh, she does get a special with credit, like with Scarlett Johansson and Samuel L. Jackson as the octopus. And the two of them are the biggest stars in this film. It's a very stylized film. It's mostly black and white and red. It's got a very limited palette. Occasionally an object will be colored. Very much the Sin City vibe uh, adapted and twisted around the work of Will Eisner. I haven't read a lot of Will Eisner's work. I'm not a massive expert on that by any means. But my instinct to say is to say that it's not the easiest fit. And, and we do jump straight into it. We learn that the spirit is a guy. Uh, he wears black. He's got a black mask. He's got a red tie. He has lots of cats. And he helps fight crimes and stuff. And he talks in a very self-serious kind of hard-boiled inner monologue about his city and how much he loves the city and basically sounds like he wants to have sex with the city like he wants to get up in its gutters he wants to fondle all its parapets poke around in its drain pipe lick all its windows this is a guy with the passion and conviction to fuck a fairly large city not to be confused with sex in the city no Sarah Jessica Parker in this one. In fact, I don't think there are any horses at all in this movie. And it was shot in 50 days all on a green screen. So I, I can't imagine it even having a massive budget to begin with. That said, the visuals are really interesting at the beginning. And I think Miller does compose some really compelling and memorable shots from some really interesting angles. And that whole beginning with the spirit running across rooftops, scuttling around, talking about his city. I actually find it to be quite compelling visually. I, I'm enjoying the beginning. I, I'm watching it thinking, oh, maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe this is going to actually have some uh, promise. Spoilers, it doesn't. Um, and then pretty much immediately it all gets quite hard to follow. Um, Eva Mendes is in some filthy water where a guy is shot by Samuel L. Jackson, who's very fabulously costumed, uh, but he's framing her, and then she dives under the water and rescues a trunk from the water, and then Sam Jackson gets an identical trunk, and Sam has a ton of eyeliner, and kind of hides in the swamp and creeps on people, and then he yells, heads up, and hits the spirit with a severed head. Uh, which is actually the cop that um, Frank Miller plays. So it's Frank Miller's severed head, which you could argue is even more indulgent and attention-grabbing than just playing the cop in the first place. And then, like, Sam Jackson beats the spirit up in the mud, and he has just really crazy, weird, tone-deaf dialogue that, I don't know, might work in a comic, but really doesn't work when said out loud. Not even by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, one of his lines is, There's nothing I like better than kicking your ass all night long, except maybe eggs. And then he laughs maniacally, like a, a 60s uh, Batman villain. Or a Joel Schumacher Batman villain, for that matter. 
And it's while this beatdown is going on that Octopus's uh, three identical henchmen... Did I mention that um, Sam Jackson is playing a a guy called the Octopus? He is. Uh, His three identical henchmen, their clones, their names are uh, Logos, Ethos, and Pathos, are waiting for their getaway driver, Silken Floss, who they foreshadow is the most beautiful woman in the world. Any guesses who this might be? And she arrives. She makes actually a grand entrance by running one of them over with the truck. One of the few parts of this film that I like. So we're 12 minutes in. And here, my friends, dear listeners, is Scarlett Johansson. And not for the first time ever, we start on her feet. Or I should say a foot seen through the open door of the truck. It's in a black studded high heel. And the camera pans up to reveal every detail of her. And we see she's wearing a black leather dress. She's got black fingerless gloves. Uh, as we like pan up to her face, she's putting a cigarette in her mouth. If you're a regular listener, you know we have seen her smoke in about half of the movies she's done. She's got curled blonde hair, black glasses. This is because we later find out she's a scientist. How would we know she was a scientist if she wasn't wearing glasses? Doesn't matter. She looks fantastic in glasses. She's also wearing a black leather chauffeur cap. Uh, And really, she looks incredible. Very heightened, stylistic design. Very iconic. I absolutely love the look of her character. And her first line is incredibly deep and droll. She says, load up the box and pile in the specimens. You've done your petri dishes proud. Because they're clones, remember? Uh, It feels like a film of non sequiturs. It's an unnatural line that no human being would actually say. And therefore, it is as unnatural as you'd expect as it rolls out of her mouth. What I do like, though, is her performance here. She's totally emotionless. But, you know, considering she just ran over one of her allies, I really like that. She's here to look good and get the job done and really expend no more energy than she needs to. And I like this laconic character. Also notice in this, she's got really super long feathery false eyelashes in this scene too. Kind of weird with the glasses. And then her next bit of dialogue is about not bothering waiting for the boss if that's the spirit back there. And this is delivered in such a droll and monotone way that she makes Aubrey Plaza look like a coked up Robin Williams by comparison. And that is certainly not a criticism at all. I mean, she's here to have fun in a role that really can't have taken her very long to shoot at all. And I am genuinely having a lot of fun watching her. Uh, And I really, as I said, like her design. Um, And and I do like how fetishistic the whole thing is. If you're going to do a really heightened comic book movie, then why not go over the top with the design? I actually wish more films would have the courage to do this. And I grow to like her character even more when she gets back in the truck and backs over the injured uh, injured henchman one more time before leaving. So she's a pretty cool opening scene overall. At this early point in the film, she has promise. But sadly, then it's back to the octopus, Sam Jackson, beating up the spirit with a severed head in a pool of turds, which is a great uh, metaphor for what this film is consists of octopus literally hits him with a toilet during this scene and uh, the spirit gets caught in the seat and then sam laughs very much like a 
cut price Jim Carrey Riddler. That might be too much of a compliment. He's probably more of a Tommy Jones doing one of his excited little two-faced dances. And then leans in, pops out his eyes and snarls, Come on, toilets are always funny. Not this time, Frank Miller. Your sense of humour is completely tone deaf. And, and in fact, that's what really hamstrings this film is it's shot and paced and performed like no film ever made by a human being before. I'd, I'd actually argue that even something like The Room has an easier momentum. Like, it flows better than this does. It, it, this feels like a weird stage show that some teenagers have put on to amuse themselves. Or a fan film, which is actually, that makes more sense. This feels like Frank Miller's spirit fan film. And the only catch to that is that most fan films aren't 100 minutes long. Oh, but Sarah Paulson is in this, though who I love from American Horror Story. I think she's a really cool actress. So this that was a, a bit of a bonus. She's a... Um, I thought she was a cop lady, but I think she's like the daughter of a cop lady. And I realized later on that she's a nurse lady. Doesn't matter. She's wearing a blue jacket in a black and white world. That's kind of special. Don't know what it means. This is no Schindler's List. And look, this scene just goes on forever and ever. Like, different characters enter it, and they talk about different things, but it is the same scene which started with this fight. And just when you thought the dialogue between characters wasn't stilted enough, we then get this additional bizarre internal monologue from the spirit, which includes lines like, Am I some kind of ghost? Some kind of flying Dutchman? If the wind picked up enough, would I just blow away? Look, I can even answer those for you, buddy. Maybe, no, and definitely not. And then Sam Jackson is talking about eggs again for some reason. What is going on, Frank Miller? I don't know, and I don't care to know what any of this is about. Then uh, there's a flashback to the kid, the spirit, and kid Eva Mendes, uh, because obviously this wasn't moving forward slow enough, so let's go back a bit. A Young Spirit is played by Young Neil from Scott Pilgrim. That's a film I wish I was watching instead of this. And, and by the way, this big long flashback sequence, the spirit is telling this flashback to a cat. I think the cat may have actually written some of this script. Maybe he's a producer. I'm not sure. So it's 31 minutes into this thing before we next see Scarlett Johansson. A complete costume change here. She's now wearing a white silk kimono standing dutifully behind rambling Sam Jackson, who is also wearing a kimono, and uh, they are in a room which is dressed up to look like a dojo. Jackson opens the trunk and emits a golden glow, and then a nuclear explosion appears behind him, uh, and we cut into this great close-up of an expressionless Scarlett Johansson eating an apple. Then Jackson starts slicing up his clone goons while cartoon anime backgrounds appear behind him. And then, like, Scarlett 
tosses the apple and robotically opens her parasol. Uh, And this is the part where she says, on your knees then, to uh, one of the henchmen, which was her quote on the posters in the marketing campaign. Uh, But it's not a big moment like the posters made you think. It really is just happening in the background. She's very much a background character for this scene. And uh, her dialogue is absolutely awful. She calls the henchman a fart. Fuck you, Frank Miller. Seriously, you hired Scarlett Johansson, who has years and years of experience at this stage, has worked with wonderful directors, and, and you put her in this film so that she can, like, walk around in the background and call people a fart? What a total fucking wasted opportunity. And one that doesn't do you or her or us any favours at all. Then she takes off her outer garment to reveal her midriff and does a bit more exposition with Sam, but I can't follow any of it, don't want to follow any of it. Um, They've got the wrong box, basically. They need to get Sans Serif, which is... Uh, Sans Serif, which is even Mendy's character. The, the problem is Scarlet doesn't have a character to work with at all here. Like, even if she had a sword fight with Samuel L. Jackson and it was something great visually, that would be cool. Give her an action sequence. But she really, literally, blocking-wise, all Frank Miller can think of for her to do is literally pace back and forth across the background, left to right, right to left. And this film because it was on green screen, always feels very flat. There are Hanna-Barbera cartoons that have more depth. This really is where it feels like she came in and filmed her role in about an hour or one afternoon, because the dialogue is awful, the blocking is awful, and her character's not consistent. I wish she'd just kept that droll, emotionless character from the beginning, because at least that was something really solid to latch onto, and she could have played with the visuals. I would have been happy with her in a supporting role, being the Aubrey Plaza of this film, who also happened to be an evil scientist. I think that would be fine, but every time Miller gives her this clunky exposition, she becomes more animated, her voice goes higher, and we lose that wonderful character that we were promised at the beginning. Instead, we get something incredibly clunky and awkward, and it really does feel to me like we are watching a rehearsal, like this is an early take that, you know, they should have workshopped this and found something better. Obviously, with the time, resources, whatever it was, they didn't. And it's very amateurish because of it. So by the time this scene ends, poor Scarlett Johansson has really done very little. So more stuff happens in the film, police stuff, more girls, even Mendy's photocopies her butt at some point. Did I mention that? Uh, an angry cop is like yelling at the spirit a lot. He's the dad from the Wonder Years. People of a certain age will remember that. He's the guy that looks like Fred Flintstone. It's a full 48 minutes in before Scarlet returns. Another costume change. This time she is a sexy nurse with open jacket and huge push-up cleavage. Uh, She remains droll in this one as Jackson examines a tiny henchman head which is attached to a foot. So like computer effect and it just sort of jumps around making noise. She's not impressed, neither am I. So this is the droll character from her first scene who seemed completely absent and a different character in a second scene. Sort of like she hadn't found the character when they were were shooting and was still just 
playing along and experimenting along the way, which again gives that rehearsal feel. And still no action for it at all. She's really just standing around in the background flashing her boobs. She looks bored by the whole thing. You probably didn't need an actress of her status to do this role. And it's not that she's coming across bad or that her performance is bad. It just really feels like she's slumming it in, in a project that is completely beneath where she is at, at this stage. Then Scarlet disappears again. There's a big scene where Eva Mendes has boobs hanging out and a dialogue that could honestly lull a kid with colic to sleep. Spirit says dumb stuff like, you were looking for a hero, weren't you, little girl? In his mythical armor. Magical armor, one of those. 58 minutes in before Scarlet turns up again. This time, the spirit enters a sewer, only to be strangely approached by a seductively, but somewhat normally dressed this time, Scarlet, in there in her glasses, uh, who just happens to be taking a stroll through the sewer. He doesn't seem surprised by it, so I guess uh, I shouldn't dwell on it too much either. And um, she kisses the spirit and then stabs him with a syringe. Very short scene. Look, ladies, I don't care how pretty you are. You stab me with a syringe in the sewer and I am totally out. Even you, Scarlet. Okay, and then the, the spirit is chained to a chair and like a harem belly dancer played by Paz Vega dances at him. And then Sam Jackson appears from behind a theatrical curtain, dressed as a Nazi, delivering a long-winded speech. And then Scarlet joins him, and she's dressed as a Nazi as well. She's totally emotionless and just staring straight ahead in this scene. She hands him a phone. He takes a call. I don't understand what's going on. Then she wanders off and stands to the side in front of an image of Hitler. If you ever wanted to see Scarlett Johansson dressed as a Nazi in front of an image of Hitler, this is your film. That's going to be our podcast image, I think. I'm not entirely sure why this is happening. I don't really know what anyone is talking about. Oh, except for the fact that Sam Jackson is talking about eggs again. It's a, a running gag that works in the adult mind of Frank Miller but he's sailing over the head of everybody else. Scarlet then takes off her glasses and leans in to help with the exposition duties again. Sam is doing the heavy lifting though. He's in the foreground. He's getting the big performance. Scarlet, again, is really just there to look pretty. And as she continues to give this expository, is that the word I'm looking for? She continues to explain stuff. That droll character disappears again. And she instead veers into something which is far less designed. It feels like she's not getting a lot of direction. Probably because Frank Miller, bless him, is not really a director. Though he does join the list of people that have had the opportunity to work with Scarlett Johansson, but haven't really given her anything to work with. In fact, shit, like, the more I do this podcast and I look at these roles for women, and, and we're talking about roles for a woman that is an A-list actress, like a woman that can headline a film. And even then, even even being one of Hollywood's hottest female performers doesn't find that many roles that have depth. 
I'm realizing that there's something about women in many of these movies where the directors just seem content with the act of having them in the movies. Sort of like it's a status thing or ticking a box. Yes, we got Scarlett Johansson in this thing. That'll sell X amount of extra tickets. That'll make this demographic happy. Great, we've done that. That's done. We don't have to think about that too much. But they should be thinking about it and thinking we've got something really cool here, really special here. We've got her in our film. Other people would kill to have her in their film. Let's give her something memorable. But instead, these roles, like the women in these roles, become almost interchangeable with something like sports cars. As in, you know, they look great on camera. The characters are impressed to own and be seen with them. And at least once in the movie, there'll be a scene where they take them for a ride. But what else? I've explained all that, and this friggin' scene is still going. They're talking about the spirit's origin and how the spirit and the octopus are linked and something about immortality and it's just so long-winded so long-winded that scarlet has another smoke she takes a smoke break during this scene they found heracles's blood they want like the octopus wants to drink heracles's blood and and then become like a god stuff we can all relate to here's a visual though scarlet is then still dressed as a nazi holding a syringe to a fluffy white kitten a very cute kitten she injects it puts it in a sink and it melts in the sink until just its eyeballs are left, just floating around. That's a pretty audacious visual. It might even be a highlight of the film if this scene wasn't so crazy long. It's like watching a play. And then the plan becomes to chop the spirit into tiny pieces. So Scarlet disappears to get some bags, I assume, to put the pieces in, but just doesn't come back. Like, never comes back into this scene. So Spirit escapes with um, the belly dancer, whose name is Plaster of Paris, but then she stabs him and he dies again, maybe? Nearly dies? It basically means he floats around listlessly for what seems like an hour in the water with Jamie King. Now, as we head towards the climax, we see Scarlet. At first, I thought she was a brunette now, but no, her hair's, like, wrapped in this big black headscarf. She's kind of dressed like a, a madman secretary. Uh, she turns up. They're going to swap a trunk for a vase. I think the vase is the thing that has Heracles' blood in it, after all. Um, and there's a four-way gun standoff with Eva Mendes and the various henchmen. Uh, they trade some more awkward dialogue. Scarlet does reveal at least that she's not romantically linked to Sam. I kind of like the fact that in a lot of movies we've watched recently, they've always hooked her up with somebody. She always has to choose somebody that she's going to be with. But no, she doesn't make out with anyone apart from the or slight kiss she had in the sewer with the spirit. But that was just to stab him with a syringe. And that far more animated version of her character comes back here. Real contrast to the droll scenes. And, you know, they're kind of playing her for comedy here, her talking about, oh, you know, she's just working with the octopus as a sort of work experience kind of leg up thing. Sure, Miller thinks it's funny. It doesn't really work. But they give Mendes the trunk with the golden glow in it. Uh, they exchange it for the vase. Then the henchmen start shooting. Eva kills him and Scarlet escapes in the truck. You'll note she's avoiding any chances of having an action scene but she is at least getting a lot of standing scenes 
which are always an amazing showcase of talent. So the spirit and the octopus fight again. Eventually the spirit manages to blow the octopus into lots of tiny pieces with a grenade. But is the optimistic Frank Miller baiting a sequel here? Because we see Scarlet one more time, still in headscarf. She finds one of Jackson's crawling fingers and says, we'll start from scratch. Who's no, who knows what it'll do? Hides it inside her jacket and spirits it away. Pun half-heartedly intended. And that is the end of this friggin' thing, except in real life, it would take you over a hundred minutes to get through. So in conclusion, and I'm going to kind of tie this into that question we always ask about, well, why was she cast? Why did she do it? The spirit for me is a failure on so many levels. It's so amateurish and it's all Miller's fault. And it's also, of course, the fault of the people that thought that he was ready to do this because he's not. It's an embarrassing film to watch. However, as far as Scarlett Johansson goes, I can't blame her for any of this because I genuinely did have fun watching her. I love her heightened design. I really enjoyed the moments of unrelenting drollness. Her scenes don't always work because they feel completely directionless for the most part. But look, in this instance, she got paid to wear cool costumes for a couple of afternoons of work, and I can't begrudge her for doing that. I guess on paper, the idea is, well, look, Sin City was cool, 300 was cool, this guy's created some really great books, costume designs are great, I'll pop by after lunch, knock a couple of scenes out. So good for her, but God damn it, Frank Miller. And I say this as someone who owns a lot of your books and loves a lot of your books. You really blew it. Don't rest on the fact that you cast attractive girls. Give them compelling characters that we're going to love and remember. So, hmm, scarcabulary this week. Haven't really found my way around this one. I want a word for when an actress is pretty much just hired to model clothes. Clothes horsing? Cataloging? I don't know, do any of those work? It's like, oh, you were in the spirit, directed by Frank Miller, playing a, a villain? Did you have to do a lot of training? I bet you did a lot of crazy action scenes. Mm, no, not really. That was just standing around, clothes horsing. I mean, fuck, doesn't that frustrate you? Look at these last two films. Woody Allen casts her and has all of her thoughts and feelings and emotions narrated by a man we don't know and even see while she just walks around or rides a bike or whatever in silence. And then Frank Miller casts her so that she can stand around in the background and not even get a single fucking action sequence. She's a villain in a comic book movie! You moron, Frank! Fuck! More housekeeping, her three greatest feats. One, she wore a different costume in every scene. That's an achievement. Two, she managed to look desirable in even the most awful of places, and by that I mean a sewer in front of a picture of Hitler and in a Frank Miller movie. And three, she probably knocked out her entire performance in a single afternoon. Had a couple of smoke breaks on camera. When she drove off in the truck at the end, it was probably full of cash. 
next time on Scarlett Johansson's Jo Go Go Magobo. Um, I don't know if it's things are better or worse. It's he's just not that into you. I don't know much about this film. I think it's a lot of famous people in it and a series of short stories or multiple storylines or whatever. So I don't know how much they intertwine or how much of it she'll be in. All I know about this is it's the film where Bradley Cooper gets to play with her boobs, I think. We're going to find out next week. And uh, you know what? It's only that and then Iron Man 2. So we're going to get our first Black Widow film after he's just not that into you. We're actually on the Homeward Stretch. And part of me wonders if I should keep releasing this weekly and just go for it. Or if I should slow down and space these out. Uh, because she's only got one film in 2015, and that is Age of Ultron, Avengers 2. So do I wrap up this whole series in a couple of months and then only release a couple of times a year when she has a film, or do I start to slow down and uh, spread things out? You guys never give me feedback on this show, so maybe that's something I have to decide myself, but uh, if there's no new episode... Next week, you'll know what I've decided. Talk to me. There's lots of ways you can talk to me. Join, there's one way. Join the Facebook discussion group for all three of my podcasts. The other ones are FPcast, which is the pop culture podcast for Fruitless Pursuits. Just Jacinta and I review films and talk about pop culture news. Say silly things to each other. And the book was better where myself and a different guest each week read usually awful novelizations of movies. You can find all of these shows at www.fruitlesspursuits.com and there are also links there to our Facebook group. Join up, chat to me, tell me what you'd like to hear. I am just that into you. I promise. So that's it. We survived the spirit longer than I anticipated even this episode. So I'm going to go and do something else. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe, go, go.